Good morning. Everybody alive? Good. I want to, uh, you know, the, we had several uh, prophetic words of encouragement this morning, and uh, I, they were all good, but I really want to encourage you in the one, um, I can't remember her name, the uh, gal who came up and encouraged us to shout out things that you're dealing with. And she mentioned Lazarus, and it really is true in the scriptures. It says, Jesus did not say, Lazarus, come forth, but he shouted, Lazarus, come forth. And I, I just was so much in tune with that because uh, right before she came up, I was just thinking about the story of the two blind men on the road to Jericho. As Jesus and the multitude are passing by, they began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon us. But, you know, some of the crowd, religiously thinking, uh, told them to shut up, don't bother the master. <laughs> but it says they began to shout out, Lord, have mercy upon us. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And there's something, um, you know, in my natural demeanor, you know, I'm not highly demonstrative. Uh, though things happen at certain times. But, uh, you know, my cultural background, not used to shouting and, uh, you know, overtures like that. But the Bible is just so clear about there's times we just need to raise our voices to the Lord. In Psalm uh, 32, verse 10, it says, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Uh, in our church, we've got uh, 12, 14 people on the pastoral team, but we've also got a part of our pastoral team is about 30 years of age, give or take a few years. And uh, we do a meeting every, uh, I think it's Thursday morning, and sometimes I lead that meeting and we just speak to these guys, and between them and the interns, there's about 12 of them. And a couple months ago, I was sharing with them, I said, how many of you, when you're out just fellowship with the Lord or in your house praying or something, how often do you just shout out thanks to God, just proclaim with the totality of your soul and your being that he is good, and that good God, he is your God. And uh, all of them kind of, you know. <laughs> but there's something about just being filled with faith, a faithful exuberance in proclaiming the goodness of God, and even if it's prophetic, as we just said, shouting out something you need resurrection in. And it's interesting, that last verse of Psalm 32, the last few words read, shout for joy, all you upright in heart. But then the very first verse of Psalm 33 reads, shout for joy, O you righteous ones. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song and play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. And uh, I'm convinced that as a church, you know, the Lord is bringing you all into a new season. And he wants to overwhelm you with things he's been preparing you for. And let me say this to uh, some of you. Some of you, you haven't realized it, but you've been in what could be called a, a Joshua season or um, a Joseph season. You've been going through a long, long time of preparation and maybe things have not been going the way you would like them to go. But you need to know that God has been orchestrating and building certain characteristics of Christ within you so that as you arrive at that point of breakthrough, the success is not your ruination. 
there's a whole message there, but uh, you understand what I'm saying, that because some people, they get and they achieve their dreams and it's, they can't handle it, but God has been preparing many of you. And so some of you just need to maintain that momentum in your prayer life, whether you're walking in the hills by yourself or in your bedroom or in your car, just shouting out to the Lord with the, out of the depths of your heart because he really does have more for you than your eyes have seen your ears have heard more than you can possibly come to grips with. Are you still alive? I want to speak to you about 2017 and 2018. Uh, all over the world, and uh, I travel extensively, but uh, everywhere I've been since December, of early December of last year, there's been a, a heightened sense of Pentecost. And Pentecost was not an event in and of itself although it was a very dramatic moment for those 120 disciples, but it was unto something. It was unto the harvest that was coming. And uh, all over the world that I've been, we've just had amazing times. Uh, a few months ago in Montreal, I was with uh, about three to 400 leaders gathered from all over the globe, including Christian leaders from Syria, from Morocco, from Egypt, from Israel, just literally all over the world from China. And uh, in one of the sessions, I felt like the Lord said that although most of these leaders were very adept at knowing the voice of God, that the Lord wanted to have a fresh impartation to almost uh, a new uh, beginning for the prophetic and knowing the voice of the Lord, the leading of the Lord in their lives. And so um, I, I led a session, I talked about that, and I said, now we're going to have a short time of just waiting upon the Lord, time of impartation. And I thought, you know, we'd spend anywhere from five to 15 minutes praying for them. But all of a sudden, the holiness of God fell in that room. And for about 90 minutes throughout the whole place, there was no really laying on of hands of people. There was just such a sovereign sense of being overshadowed by the wings of the Almighty. And including pastors from Jerusalem, pastors from China and South America, Europe, all over the globe that were gathered together for this uh, three days of meetings we had, there was such a profound sense of the holiness of God's purposes in our lives, and we need to have greater ears to hear and eyes to see what he wants to show us, because he considers his will for our lives as quite holy. But I want to talk to you about uh, 2017, 2018, that the Lord is going to be speaking to many of you. It could be about things in your career, things about relationships things in ministry, that there's three words I want to give you about this next year and a half, two years we're in. It's a time for Holy Spirit investment, a time for Holy Spirit creativity, and a time of Holy Spirit innovation. And there's some of you that uh, you may feel like the last five or eight years, maybe you've been in kind of a holding pattern. Maybe there were seasons before where it seemed like you had opportunity after opportunity to do things ministry-wise, otherwise maybe it could be in the business realm. And it's not that there haven't been opportunities, but you just haven't felt within you an inertia, time for new things. And God is the God of times and seasons. But we're coming into a fresh season, the Lord is saying, whether some ministry projects or uh, outreaches, or it could be uh, going back to school, to college or university, or it could be some of you have been burned in relationships, beginning to trust in relationships again. It's a time to start reinvesting. It's a time for innovation. And innovation is different from creativity. Innovation means to take what exists 
and to readapt it to the present situation. And some of us are going to have to redo the wineskins to hold the new wine the Lord wants to give us. But there's also coming a, a, a freedom for creativity. And I'm convinced that over the next two or three years, there's going to be many Christians in, uh, that do research and development that are going to be taking out patents on new ideas. People in the business world are, and otherwise are going to be receiving new strategies. And people are going to say, where did you get that from? And they're going to say, it's, it's coming from God. And uh, it's a time for the Daniels to arise where the Nebuchadnezzars are saying, where are you getting that wisdom from? And you're going to say, all wisdom and mysteries belong to God. But uh, specifically, I want to speak about knowing the voice of the Lord. And hopefully, this is not only a message in itself, but if you have the opportunity, I'd like to as well encourage you to take in the teaching, uh, the opportunity you have with Mark Verkler. I haven't personally run across Mark Verkler in 20 years, but he just has such incredibly practical, helpful teaching, especially for people that are challenged in knowing the voice of God, that you can hear the voice of God, and that's what I want to speak into a little bit today. Two words concerning, or two promises concerning this thing called Christianity. One, from the prophet of the Old Testament, he said, what will be distinct about this new covenant that we call Christianity is, Joel said, the young men and women will prophesy. The older ones will dream dreams. The young men will see visions. And when the spirit of Pentecost fell, when the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, and people were the, the, the observers of what was happening to the disciples, were so confused, and they said, what's going on? Peter stood up and said, this is that which Joel prophesied, that it's not a matter of everybody becoming a prophet, but together we're to be a prophetic people. Hello. Mark, that was a good point. Do not be too discouraged by the blank looks on their faces right now. Everybody's thinking, I'm going to be a great prophet. No, it's not a matter of you and I becoming a great prophet, but us as a people becoming a prophetic people that reflect and release the voice of God to the nations and the purposes of God to the nations. It's great. About six of you are excited now. But uh, we have this incredible promise of Joel that it's your birthright in Christ Jesus. And it's not a matter of just a few spiritually elite people, but as the sons or daughters of God, we're all to be led by the Spirit, Paul said. And Jesus said in John 10, 27, he said, my sheep will know my voice. God wants you to know. He maybe doesn't want you to prophesy to the nations, but he does want you to know the times and seasons he has for you. And he wants you to know the difference between the God ideas and the good ideas that come your way, because sometimes there's a world of difference. I don't read the message version of the Bible because it's so wordy, it takes about eight years just to read the Gospels, you know. But I do want to give you one verse out of the message Bible, and it's Proverbs 29, 18. And it says, if the people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. And when we are hearing, as Jesus said to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, when we have eyes to see, ears to hear what the Lord is saying to us, that's when we're most blessed, walking in the specific intentions of the Father for our life. James said, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation, 
no changing, no shadows. And one of the basic gifts he has for all of his children is the ability to communicate with them, not only to pray and worship him, but to hear from him. And again, we're not all called like Jeremiah to be a prophet to the nations, but we are called to be those sons and daughters that are led by the Spirit. But James also said, sometimes we do not have because we do not ask. Matthew 20, 29, I already referred to this, but uh, Jesus is going on his last trip, last ministry trip to Jerusalem before the crucifixion. And it says there was a great multitude of with them on the road, on that road from Jericho to Jerusalem. And as they went out from Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping. I love this because Jesus is always willing to stop the parade for just one person, let alone two, calling out to him. You know, these two beggars, these two blind beggars, they had no money, no position. They evidently didn't even have family to take care of them. They were just in the eyes of many people to just no account poor blind beggars. But they're calling out for God, and people are thinking, ah, you know, just, just relax, you know, you're going to get by. But they started yelling out even louder, Lord, have mercy on us. And I love it. Jesus stopped. Jesus is always willing to stop and give ear to the cry of your hearts. But sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. And so Jesus stopped and he said, what do you want me to do for you? What a great question. Maybe that's what the Lord is saying to the Catch the Fire Church right now here. What do you want me to do for you in this new season? What do you want me to do for you? And they said, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in compassion, touched their eyes. And immediately, they recovered their sight and followed him. Now, we understand, obviously, this is a physical, physical healing. But metaphorically, I would like to say there's an application here with the eyes of our hearts being opened, being enlightened to behold him the ears of our hearts to hear what he wants to say. Jesus said, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead, if a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give of the Holy Spirit? And isn't it interesting that there's among some Christians there's so much... There's actually more faith in the devil to deceive us than the Holy Spirit to lead us. But Jesus said these words, if you ask God for the Spirit, he's not going to give you a snake or a scorpion, something that's going to deceive you, something that's going to sting you, something that's going to burn you. And of course, we, there are steps with the prophecy we need to test all words. I'm not just saying take everything carte blanche. You know, there's basic steps. We won't talk about that today. Most of you are familiar with them. So all words need to be tested. But the reality is the Father is such a good Father, he wants to lead you and guide you by his Spirit into the test of the vision he has for your life, the calling, the destiny he has for your life. I want to give you two verses this morning, and I want to encourage you, if you haven't done this, 
to underline them, highlight them in your Bible. And I know that most likely there's some of you sitting here saying, well, we shouldn't underline things in our Bible because every verse is important. That's cool. Just reach across and underline in somebody else's Bible. But these two verses deserve to be highlighted. And the first is, and these are life verses for me, but the first is 1 Corinthians 2.9, that God has more for those who love him, more than our eyes have seen, more than our ears have heard, more than we can possibly understand. Well, if God has more for you than you can understand, you can imagine, how in the world are you going to come into it? Eyes to see and ears to hear, the prophetic. And again, I'm not talking about trying to become a great prophet, but knowing the kind intentions of the Father for your life and the church. He has more for us than we have any idea. But the second passage is Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 where Paul said, give glory to the one who can do far more. Say far more. About 12 of you are excited. Let's try it one more time. Say far more. Give glory to the one who can do far more than you can think or ask. And I don't know about you, but I'm in a season in my life, and I've been ministering internationally now for 35 years, where I'm desperate for God to do far more than I can think or ask. My wife and I and our kids, we live in Southern California. We're originally from, we were from there before we moved to Toronto many years ago, and we've lived other places since then, but we've come back and highly involved in a church we helped start there in 1986. But just in the last, you know, 25 years or so, or 30 years since we started that church in 1986 in Southern California, Although California has always been wild, we are just seeing our culture just uh, uh, sliding to hell, you know. There's so much demonic deception, so much brokenness. But the reality is that God wants to do far more than we can think or ask according to his power that works within us. And so we're just seeing the Spirit of God do great things there. We had started that church in uh, 1986, and by 1992, the church was up to about three, 400 people, and we were seen, especially among a lot of young people, getting saved. And, and uh, I'll talk in a few moments about the prophetic that led me to move to Toronto, and uh, my wife and I and two kids that time to move to Toronto in May of 92. But our church was doing well, and uh, it was probably about January or February of 92, we were having an elders meeting, about four of us in in this meeting, and uh, one of the other guys uh, that we started the church with, Mark, one of the uh, senior pastors, he uh, said, I don't know what everybody thinks about this, but I feel like God has spoken to me and given me a vision for a new strategy for reaching out to high school kids because we're, San Diego, uh, many of you have been there, it's got beautiful beaches, beautiful uh, parts of town, very expensive parts of town, and a lot of tourists go there. But where our church is at, East San County, there's so much brokenness. We have a gang activity, a lot of gang activity. At that time, back in the 80s, it was called the crystal meth capital of the United States because so much crystal meth was manufactured and sipped all over. There were so many kids living in broken, drugged-out families and, you know, uh, not knowing a father and sometimes not knowing a mother, the whole deal, living on the streets. And Mark Hoffman, one of the two senior guys, said, I don't know how everybody feels about this, but I feel like God has given me a, a spoken to me, given me a strategy. 
And he said, we're to rent a small storefront away from the church, and we're to start uh, a club where after school, kids can have a safe place to hang out. And uh, we'll, we'll fill it with ping pong tables, pool tables, games, and have light refreshments. But from school till about 9 o'clock at night, kids from broken families that have been on the streets, they can hang out there. And we're going to train. We should, the Lord wants us to train some uh, people from our church to do uh, relational evangelism, to be there, to staff the place, not to preach to the kids, but just to be there. And as they open up, to share the gospel with them. And uh, immediately, uh, all of us on the team, we felt, this is God, and we've got to pursue it. But there was just one problem. We didn't have the money to pursue it, but we knew it was God, so we did it anyway. We rented some storefront. We trained a bunch of volunteers in our church to do relational evangelism. And we just had a couple of rules. You could, the kids could come in, but they couldn't be packing any weapons, knives or guns. They couldn't get in any fights uh, and things like that. And there were a couple of different levels that if they ended up making a commitment to Christ, to one of the volunteers, they would go through a discipleship program. Well, we started that, and uh, it had a good beginning, and then my wife and I moved to Toronto, but I got a call about a year later from Mark Hoffman, and he said, you'll never guess what happened today. He said, I was in the church office working on a message, and the secretary called me and said, there's a man just at our church who wants to talk to you. And I really didn't want to be bothered. I was working on my message for the weekend. But he says, I went out and talked to him. And this man said, you don't know me. I don't go to your church. But I've heard what you're doing for teenagers in the city. I want to help. And he said, here's a check for $10,000. Now, that's exciting. But that same afternoon, about five hours later, somebody else comes in, says to the secretary, I want to talk to one of the pastors. And she buzzed Mark. This time, he came running out of the office. And the man said, you don't know me. I don't go to your church. He literally said almost the exact same thing. But he said, I've heard what you're doing for teenagers in the city. I want to help. And he wrote us a check for $50,000. So we went from struggling with this uh, one location to now we have $60,000 in the pot. We opened a second one. Today we've got seven of them in San Diego. And conservatively... Conservatively, between six and 9,000 teenagers have come to Christ there at those locations in the last 20 years. But about 10 years ago, an apostolic guy in Kenya by the name of Larry Nice, he heard about this thing we do called Youth Venture, and he called up our church from Kenya and said, we need this Youth Venture thing in our churches in Kenya. Would you send a team over and train some of our churches? So we did that. And uh, they started Youth Venture, the program, in a number of the churches there. And uh, about four years ago, the Secretary of Education of Kenya for the whole nation called up that uh, main church and said, I've seen what's happening with some of your teenagers. He said, we need to do this in the public high schools. And so we've been sending over teams training secular high school teachers in how to do a Christ-based discipleship program. They estimate that this year, in between Kenya and Rwanda, over 100,000 teenagers are going to go through this Christ-based discipleship program. And what they found was that in Kenya, there's over a 90% reduction 
in pregnancy outside of marriage by the teenagers who go through this, and there's over a 90% reduction in dropping out of school before complete graduation. And going back to that meeting in May, or January, February of 1992, whenever it was, if somebody had said, if you're obedient to this little vision, to what I'm showing you, it's going to go on to impact nations because now it's happening in Rwanda. It's happening, we're starting it in Cuba as well. We never would have believed it. If somebody had said, you're going to see seven, eight, nine thousand teenagers come to Christ, we never would have believed it. But you see, when God gives you a word, a dream or a vision or a prophetic nudge or when you have like two or three opportunities and the Lord says, this is the road I have for you. As Isaiah said, you will hear a voice saying, turn this way. But sometimes those prophetic pictures, those prophetic nudges, prophetic ideas God gives you, when you hold in your hand, it doesn't look like very much. And it's like a seed. A seed is just a small piece of dead wood. But when you plant that small piece of dead wood, you bury it, and you water it, and you give it nutrition, a miracle takes place, and life comes forth. You know, 2,000 years ago, somebody hung on a piece of dead wood, and today there's close to a billion people that call him Lord and Savior. And when God gives you a seed of a vision or a dream, although it might not seem like much in the face of what you're looking at outwardly, but if you will plant that, meaning put it in your heart, and you will water it through prayer, and you will give it nutrition by being obedient in the small steps, the prophet said, do not despise the day of small beginnings. You will see, as God's kind intention for you, as we step out in obedience, just amazing things over time begin to take place. Well, in uh, 1991, a year before we started Youth Venture, the Lord, I'd uh, done a ministry trip to Toronto, Canada, and spoken at a church of, I don't know, about 300 people in Stratford, 90 minutes west of Toronto. And I had never been there before, never been with this church before. And after doing the conference, the senior pastor, you all know him, John or Carol or not, uh, he said, you know, we're starting this new church plant in Toronto. We meet Sunday nights. And, and he said, your last meeting for this conference is Sunday morning and you're flying out Monday, would you be willing to do the drive to Toronto in the afternoon and speak at our new little church plan? I said, sure. So we're driving along, and uh, I just met this pastor three days before, seemed like a nice guy, seemed, uh, you know, pretty aggressive about things. And he said, you know, uh, Mark, we've just met you, but we, we love how you've been modeling the prophetic and ministry of the sick and things. And he said, would you and your wife, he said, I know this is a long shot, but would you and your wife even consider praying about possibly relocating your ministry from San Diego to Toronto and, uh, you know, continuing your national ministry, but uh, help train in the spiritual gifts and things? And I thought, you know, are you out of your mind? San Diego is one of the best climates in the world, and we have an ocean, beaches, you know, and why in the world would I move to a socialistic country like Canada where you have this thing called snow in the winter, you know, and, uh, you know, you don't have salt in the water, you know, and why in the world would I do that? But um, to be honest, you know, I said, sure, I'll pray about it. And as I prayed about it, it did not go quite the way I would have liked. 
And uh, I thought, you know, well, I'm not going to ever make a serious decision without my wife being in agreement. I know she's not going to be in agreement with this, but as she prayed about it, she began to sense the Lord was in this as well. This is not going good. So because I, I don't believe in just making unilateral things, I believe in uh, accountability and healthy relationships. To the guys I'd started the church with, Mark and Dave Hoffman, I said, you know, I told you about that church I was with last year, and, they, and I said, yeah, and I said, well, they gave me this invitation. I said, I don't understand it, but we're praying about it. I sense the Lord is in it. And they said, Mark, why in the world would you leave San Diego? You know, you helped start the church. We've got great support for you as you're traveling, and your family's all in San Diego. You've got good weather. You're all your friends. Why would you? I said, I don't know, but can we pray about it? So we agreed as a leadership team to take 60 days, and we prayed about it, and they came back to me, and they said, you know, we don't understand this, but we feel like the Lord's in it, and so we're going to bless you as a church for the move. And then we made the move in May of 1992, and it was a week later. We arrived there in time to do a prophetic conference with the church, and now the church is still only about 125 people. It's not this big, huge work. But it was at that conference uh, during worship before I spoke in one of the sessions, the Lord gave me the open vision of Niagara Falls coming to the city of Toronto. It ended up being a four-page prophecy. Uh, they had it transcribed, and, and subsequently that's been put into some uh, history books about that removed the spirit in Toronto. But uh, the Lord said that in that vision of Niagara Falls coming to the city of Toronto, he said in late 93, early 94, a move of the Spirit is going to come to Toronto that it's never experienced before, and it's going to come to the nations. It's going to go to the nations. And so a year, year and a half goes by, you know, now we're coming close to the end of 1993, 94 is about to begin. And, you know, and I uh, preached that uh, vision a couple times in my church. I preached in a few other churches around Toronto. And we're seeing some good things happen in our church, but nothing at all that smacks of revival. And I'm beginning to pray, Lord, you know, would you do like that mission impossible thing where, where they listen to the tape, then it just dissolves somehow? That all the, you know, this is back in tapes before the CD age. I said, all the tapes that people bought from those messages, would you just cause those to just evaporate somehow, you know? But sure enough, the third weekend of January 1994, uh, you know, things just opened up, and they estimate that over the next four to five years, uh, conservatively, at least four million people from around the earth came and visited our church and just had incredible encounters with the Lord, and ministries all over the globe have been changed because of that. But I tell you this story because when my wife and I, and then with the, the two leaders we were leading the church with, as we prayed about it, we didn't have anything like that. We were just sensed the Lord saying, I'm in this, I want you to do it. And when I saw what the Lord was doing as the Holy Spirit began to be outpoured, the first thing I did was I got on the phone with Mark and Dave back in San Diego. And I said, guys, get out here as soon as you can. And so they bought airline tickets and two weeks notice they got out and they were there for a week. And basically for six nights in a row, we're just laid out in the spirit. And they ended up going back to San Diego and for a year and a half would have special meetings Friday, Saturday, Sunday night. And they estimate that possibly 50 to 60,000 Christians from all over San Diego came and had dramatic encounters with the Lord. But the first day they were there, they arrived in the evening, went to the evening meeting, had an amazing encounter with the Lord. We went out for lunch the next day, and Mark and Dave looked at me, and they said, you know, two years ago when we were praying about you coming here, we didn't understand why, but we just knew the Lord was saying yes 
Now we understand why. And you see, that's how the prophetic works, that God gives you a direction, he gives you a vision. It's never the whole thing. But as the prophet said, do not despise the day of small beginnings. And over the next year, year and a half, God is going to be speaking to many of you about things that you've never imagined, things that you've never understood, and you're going to think, well, can this really be for me? Or you're going to think, well, I'm, I'm looking at the outward situation. It just seems so improbable. It just seems so impossible. But God has more for you than your eyes have seen, your ears have heard. He wants to do far more than you can think or ask. And, you know, with the church, like Catch the Fire Raleigh here, you know, uh, you've got so many good things happening. But the problem with good things happening in our lives, past and present, if we allow it to, the present good will become the enemy of the future great. The promise of God is the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the seas. In the years I've been a Christian and been involved in international ministry, I've had the privilege of being part of five different uh, revivals internationally. But I tell you, you know, within my soul and most of the leaders I know, there is a desperation for God to do something right now in our cities, our nations, to see things that our eyes have not seen, our ears have not heard. We're desperate for the younger generations. We're desperate for our cultures to have a revelation of the kingdom of God. And uh, God has far more. And for you as an individual, the heart of God is never for you to merely survive. Jesus did not come so that you might survive. He came that you might have life abundantly. And so the Word of God talks about going from strength to strength, from glory to glory. And even though we pass through the valleys of Baca, the dry, barren, fruitless places, we're to bring transformation that they become places flowing with reeds and rushes and the living waters. And you can look at Raleigh and Durham right now, and you can look at our nation, see all the problems, all the decay, but the will of God is that we would not merely survive and have a blessed life, but we would turn these valleys of Baca, these dry, barren, lonely, fruitless places, transforming with the living waters of God Almighty. And it all has to do with you and I being led by the Spirit. So I have a challenge for you, and I'm calling it the 2017-18 challenge. And that challenge is for you as a church right now, take maybe the next six to eight weeks, and in your own prayer time, I'm not talking about having special prayer meetings, but in your own times of devotion, maybe as a couple if you're married or uh, on your own or maybe with friends, but in addition to your normal prayer life, praying for family, church, the city, things like that, Spend at least three to four days a week an extra 10, 15 minutes just waiting upon the Lord. Just waiting. You know, Habakkuk the prophet talked about, I will wait to see what the Lord will show me. And to just get before the Lord and maybe with a journal or a piece of paper and say, Lord, do you want to speak to me maybe out of your word or give me a vision or give me a dream tonight as I sleep? But I'm not saying do this forever, although it is a good lifelong practice, but I'm saying specifically target the next six to eight weeks. Take three or four days a week, whether it's late at night or in the morning, your lunch break, 
and just spend some time hanging out with the Lord, saying, Lord, I'm here if you want to speak, because he does have more for you. Habakkuk in Habakkuk 2, verses 2 through 3, said, write the vision down so you may run with it. Uh, um, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what God will say to me and what I shall answer him. And the Lord answered me and said, write the vision, make it plain on the tablet so that he who reads it, uh, so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems so, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And it all has to do with us posturing ourselves to have eyes to see, ears to hear. And I want to say to you that if when God begins to speak to you, what he says to you seems really impossible, not always, but quite often, that could be a good indicator you're hearing from God. (laughs) Because he wants to do far more than you can think or ask. And, you know, I love what it says in Proverbs 3, 5. Lean not to your own understanding, but trust the Lord with all of your heart. You know, and when I had that initial vision about Toronto, the outpouring in May of 92, and the Lord said, I'm going to do something Toronto that's going to go to the nations. If somebody had said within five years of that movement beginning four to five million people from the ends of the earth including the underground church in Cambodia and Vietnam will visit your church I just would have kind of laughed at it there is a a man who's passed away about 10 years ago and he was one of the true charismatic pioneers Uh, came out of the United States ministered all over the world and especially in the 60s and 70s he commonly spoke to crowds of 10, 15, 20,000. God used him with leaders throughout the body of Christ in all the networks, denominations, but even presidents and prime ministers and kings in in African places to baptize them in the Holy Spirit. And his name was Harold Bredesen. And uh, many, many years, just really before the charismatic movement began, he and an elder in his church by the name of Pat Robertson They would gather once a week in the church just to pray, pray for another families and pray for the church. And Harold told a very good friend of mine that Harold kind of adopted as a spiritual son and mentored for about 10 years before he passed on. He said, one day we were praying and the spirit fell upon us and we began to prophesy. And Pat Robertson prophesied over me that I was going to go all over the world leading tens of thousands of people, including dignitaries, politicians in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then I prophesied over Pat Robertson that God was going to use him in television to lead millions of people to Christ. Uh, And my friend said, wow, how did you react after you prophesied those two things after one another? Because at the time, Pat Robertson really didn't even have a television, uh, you know, network or anything. And he said, how how did you respond to those prophecies? He said, oh, we just started laughing in unbelief. But it all came to pass. It all came to pass. And again, the words God may give you may not be about something, you know, preaching to the nations, or, but it may be in the business realm. That may be the kingdom sphere of influence God has given you to extend his goodness. It may be in the political realm. It may be in government. It may be in education. It may be in media or the arts. 
God is wanting to raise up Daniels who will impact the governments and the kings of this world, no matter what the spear is. But I want to close by saying this about the specific will of God for your life. And I do believe that quite often God gives us choices. I believe God gives us choices about who we're to marry, although he'll lead us and indicate things. That certainly happened with me and my future wife. But, you know, some people, for example, they say, oh, there's just one person in all the world that God has for you to marry. Well, it only took one person to marry outside the will of God to bring a domino effect that ruined that, that plan for everybody. So, no, there's, uh, love is always a choice. And sometimes when it comes to relationships, sometimes when it comes to your career, God gives you choices. But I also want to say to you, in, in the te- there's a tension in that, that God also has a very specific will for you that he's created you to run in, that he's put within your DNA that's going to bring fulfillment to you. And I want to uh, give you this analogy to think about before we go into prayer, that when we think about the holiness of God, quite often we think, well, the holiness of God means an absence of sin. Now, that is just the most shallow understanding of holiness. Holiness in God means three things. One, it means to embrace the person of Christ because he becomes our righteousness. Secondly, it means to embrace the ways of Christ, to change our thinking, our behavioral patterns, and conform ourselves to the ways of God. But thirdly, holiness means to embrace the specific will the Father has for you. And I say this because Moses... After 40 years, you know, he was shepherding the sheep of a small Bedouin tribe out in the middle of nowhere. And after 40 years, he still didn't even own his own sheep. He was taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. But one day, he sees that bush up on the mountainside burning. He said, I must turn aside to gaze at this. And he ascended the mountain of the Lord, so to speak. And he came into the presence of the Lord And you know what the Lord said to him? Take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. And that was the meeting where God commissioned him and anointed him and released him into his destiny of leading a whole nation out of captivity into freedom. And it is no coincidence that in that context, God is saying you're standing on holy ground because God considers it holy, the intentions he created you to walk in your calling, your destiny, your purposes. And so, again, you might not be called like Jeremiah to be a prophet to the nations, but God created you with very unique purposes, very unique gifts, and he is, whether you've been aware of not, he's been shaping you, molding you for that, and there comes a time where he says, now I want your joy to be made full and to run the race I've designed you to run. Let's all stand. Are you still alive? Can I ask uh, the keyboard player, wherever she's at, I've forgotten your name, to come on up if you're still about. Are you there? Or a guitarist, or a ukulele player, I don't know, somebody. But uh, one, uh, there she is. You see what great authority I have. Uh, Just one picture. Uh, for you as a church, that at a time when the prophetic was not very well known in Israel, in fact, there was a, a, a you could say there was a, almost a famine of the voice of the Lord. But uh, God raised up this young boy, Samuel, 
And uh, I won't tell the whole story about his mother, Hannah, not them have children, but finally, he was born and he grew a bit, and she dedicated him to Eli the priest. And so he ended up living with this grumpy old man for the <laughs> rest of his childhood years. But it says something absolutely amazing about Samuel that when he first began to hear the voice for the first time in his life, it says he used to sleep in the temple uh, uh, by the ark, by the glory of God. And you know what's interesting? It was forbidden for anybody but the high priest to do that. And even the high priest could only do that on the Day of Atonement once a year. But he used to rest there. And one night as he was resting there, the Lord said, Samuel. And he had never experienced the voice of the Lord. So he went running to Eli the priest and said, you called me. And Eli said, no, I didn't call you. You were dreaming. But a second time, the Lord said, Samuel. And he goes running to Eli, you called me. No, I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. But a third time, and then finally, Eli, you know, discerned this was the voice of the Lord. And again, I'm not covering the whole thing, but the, God ended up giving Samuel up that night an amazing word for Israel. And then it says something very interesting at the end of that chapter. It said, from that time on, the Lord let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground that he went from being this young man that didn't know the voice of the Lord to being used powerfully all of his life. But it began with him sleeping by the altar. And I think sometimes prophetic challenges, they can be given in a manipulative way rather than invitation. So I don't say this to manipulate anybody. I give this as an invitation. But I believe that there's a new child, so to speak, of ministry within Catch the Fire here at this church of waiting upon the Lord and intercessory prayer. And it's in that context of waiting upon the Lord and praying that you're going to begin to hear the voice of the Lord to a much greater degree than you've heard before. And that's why I think it's so timely that you're having Mark Verkler doing this teaching a couple of weeks and knowing the voice of the Lord. But as you continue to do things like the burn meetings, just camping out in the presence of the Lord and spend time waiting and listening to him as a church, there's going to come a new freedom and a new authority with the prophetic as you as a church. Just, uh, if you would, close your eyes and just hold your hands out to the Lord. And uh, if you're married, uh, maybe join a hand with your spouse because God does things as families, doesn't he? And I want to ask you to pray out loud after me. Father God, your word tells me all those that are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. Father, you've given me the birthright of knowing my voice, knowing your voice. You've told me that the young men shall prophesy the older ones dream dreams. The young men and women see visions. Here we are, Lord. We need your voice. We need your clarity. We need the light of your presence. As we seek you, Lord, as individuals, as families, as churches,
Would you speak to us, Lord? Would you begin to give us dreams and visions that we haven't had before? In our lives, in the callings and giftings, as a church, no matter what sphere of influence you call us to, would you use us as Daniels? Would you use us as Joseph's? Prophetic voices to say no to the famine. No to the famine that's hitting our cultures. And to store up the goodness and glory of God that we may be a storehouse for the nations. Just allow the Holy Spirit to rest upon you in the name of Jesus. Even if you've been moving in prophecy for years, I bless the eyes and ears of your heart to be enlightened now in the name of Jesus. Sometimes we do not have because we do not ask. Father, I ask for the spirit of prophecy, the gift of prophecy to come upon individuals and to come upon this church in a way they've never known before. And I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, would you, even as Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus, would you enlighten the eyes of their heart? Would you give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all glory? So just take in the Holy Spirit. Take in the Holy Spirit. Just going to take a minute here, but just be in a receiving posture.